0: Back with another episode of Backlash Podcast. I can't believe it's already late July. It's incredible how fast time goes. And for most of us in the Midwest, if you're listening to this right now, we are in the midst of a hot streak. Not necessarily a hot streak for catching muskies, but a hot streak as far as temperatures are concerned. I'm back with Brad Hoppy with Muskie Mayhem Tackle. He's back with us this week. So, and we're going to be talking to Jeff Hansen with Madison Muskie Guide Service. And typically we don't talk to Jeff during fishing season. I don't know why we don't, we just don't. So that's kind of what's up. Brad, nice to have you back this week. Thanks for uh, taking time out of your schedule to uh, talk musky fishing with us.
1: Yeah, anytime, Jeff. I appreciate being on here and uh, looking forward to this one. Jeff usually brings quite a bit to the to the table, so it should be an interesting one.
0: Yeah, absolutely. One of the uh, best guides that you could find in southern Wisconsin. I mean, I'm certain he's one of the best guides you could find anywhere. But he guides down in southern Wisconsin, and if you're looking to get out on the Madison chain, there's no better person to get out with than Jeff. He uh, he knows it well. I've seen it firsthand multiple times, and uh, you'll have an enjoyable day on the water. Won't always guarantee muskies, but uh, Jeff certainly knows where they're where they are and what they're up to. And so if uh, you know, I feel like there's a great chance that you'll you'll put one in the boat or you'll have action. Like I said, I'm not going to guarantee anything, but I think in the handful of trips I went with Jeff, I, I don't know that we've ever been completely skunked where we didn't have at least an opportunity to see fish or something like that where, you know, we're just washing lures all day long. So we haven't had that, but so it'd be good to talk with Jeff about a variety of topics. He was in Canada. So we'll talk a little bit about his Canadian trip. We'll talk a little bit about, you know, how to deal with hot weather. We'll talk uh, five questions with Jeff on a variety of topics. So, Hopefully uh, listeners get a little bit out of this episode and it helps them put an extra musky or two in the net this coming season or this continuing on season. Hard to believe, Brad. I mean, I can't honestly fathom that we're already too late July. This is, it's crazy how fast things go. I mean, my kids are going to be back to going back to school be, before I know it.
1: Yeah, it's pretty bizarre. I, I think as we get older, obviously uh, time just kind of blows by and I'm in the same boat as you. I feel like, uh, <laughs> It's just hard to imagine that it's the last week in July. I I don't know. I don't know what happened to time, but uh, pretty soon we'll be at shows is what I'm thinking. Man, it's kind of hard to believe. But uh, get out there and enjoy it while we can, right? Get on the water and fish as hard as you can because it goes quick.
0: I I guess I'm looking at the plus side. We're still not like halfway to the musky season, if you want to say that there's a season. For those of us that have seasons, you know, you still probably have... All of August, all of September, all of October. And then um, November can be a wild card, but I mean, typically we've been getting weather where we can get out and musky fish all through November yet too. So still a lot of fishing time left, but man, it's it's amazing how fast it's gone so far. Absolutely. And then as we say every single week on this podcast, if you're looking for gear for your next musky fishing adventures, make sure you check out teamrhinooutdoors.com. Hats, I talked about it briefly last week. We have piles and piles of hats. If you want hats with leather patches or you want flex fits, you want flat bills, we have them there. And top of a pile of musky gear, we've just gotten reloaded from Musky Mayhem again. It seems like we get reloaded from Musky Mayhem about every week and a half. We just got a bunch of stuff in from Musky Innovations. Um, What do we got coming? I think there's a new bait out from Livingston Lures that we'll have. We got some Musky Frenzies in and Red October Tubes, if you're looking for tubes. We've talked about it multiple times on this podcast. We have some tubes in stock now. So, TeamRhinoOutdoors.com is where you want to go. And if you're looking for the very biggest and best in Flashaboo, did I say that right? Brad Flashaboo Bates, go check out Musky <laughs> Mayhem Tackle. And, you know, Brad, why don't you kind of go through a little bit to deal with Musky Mayhem Tackle, even though I kind of helped you out with it.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, There's not a whole lot to say, but you can definitely check out uh, Musky Man Tackle at any major retailer as well as right on our direct site at muskeymahemtackle.com, and you can create some of your own customs or find yourself right at Team Rhino Outdoors for a ton of different custom colors as well. So not only hair, Flashaboo, and marabou, we pretty much have uh, anything anybody could want when it comes to a bladed bait.
0: And if people are jonesing for some musky content, Brad, why don't you talk a little bit about where you can find some musky content?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've, we're we always putting stuff out on YouTube uh, through Musky Mayhem Tackle. Over the years, we've done a bunch of different things. Um, but not only that, we started a TV show two seasons ago, and you can find that both on KOTV channel as well as YouTube. And that is the first quarter of the year, so... If you're looking for fresh stuff, it won't be starting until the end of December, beginning of January. But uh, we have two seasons out there, I guess a half a season and a full season. And that's Mayhem's 10,000 casts. So check it out. Let us know what you think. And i um, definitely going to keep providing some of that content. And we're happy to be working with you, Jeff, on that whole project.
0: Yeah, definitely looking forward to uh, what you guys are putting together right now so we can check it out in, in January. I know last year I, I watched, I'd say almost all of them. I can't say I've positively watched all of them, but I think I might have.
1: And uh, <laughs> looking forward to that it's again. Tough. It's tough to keep up. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, but the, the cool thing is, like this season, we've, we've got five shows in the can. And I'm happy to say that all five of those shows are in a different state. So we got five shows in five different states. So we're hoping to... Um, kind of present something maybe a little bit different than uh, what we've seen out there in the past.
0: Very cool. All right, Brad, I think I'm ready to go. I think we can uh, dial up our conversation with Jeff and uh, move on with this episode. Sounds like a plan. All right. Our guest this week is Jeff Hansen with Madison Muskie guide service. And I don't know, I have no idea how long it's been since we've had Jeff on, but I know this typically we don't talk to him during the season not because we don't want to, but we always talk to him about, you know, preseason getting ready for the Southern opener. So then we don't, we skip over Jeff for the regu- for, you know, during the season. So Jeff's going to talk to you uh, during the fishing season. I know that you just got off the water this morning. You just got back from a Canadian trip. So I thank yep. you for taking time out of your schedule to talk muskies with us this morning. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me again. Let's talk about that. You know, you're fresh off a trip to Canada and sounds like uh, you can, Sort of go over what, how your trip went, but it sounds like it was uh, weather was a little unexpected.
2: Yeah, I went to Eagle Lake, uh, stayed at North Shore Lodge. Had probably the craziest weather I've ever had on a July trip. I usually go in July every year, and I had my ring gear on every day, but one only well, we needed sunscreen one day, which was a huge change from what I've been dealing with in Madison before I left. Uh, water temps had been seventy six before we got there; they had dropped down to sixty three while I was there and had gotten back up to 67 by the time I left Saturday, but uh, the fishing was good. I mean, we caught 17 fish up to 50 and uh, lots of 42 to 46-inch fish, but uh, definitely, definitely needed to do good big figure eights, and a lot of the fish with that cooler weather were, were nipping, and normally we don't get a lot of pike, especially big pike in July while I'm there, but we caught more pike than I even know what to do with with the cooling temps the big pike slid back in the weeds and on the rocks and we caught piles of 32 to 40 inch pike i mean every day lots of them which you normally don't deal with in mid-july but with the cooling temps the pike were shallow too lots of lifted fish that's that's for sure pretty wild
1: jeff you know we were talking before we started recording and i happened to be in northern wisconsin and dealt with a little bit of that same thing first day was beautiful uh, like you said sunscreen and uh, shorts and t-shirts and we woke up to 40-some degrees and it definitely uh put those fish in a little bit of a funk and we had we experienced the same thing we ended up catching a bunch of pike and some pretty good ones as well and then the nipping you know you're talking about that nipping it was like they were just really sluggish and they just wanted to they wanted to chase a little bit but they didn't want to commit and um by day four we finally started turning back around with the weather and, Pretty wild to think about the month of July. I can't remember another time that I actually had rain gear on for a full day with sweatshirts and everything else.
2: Yeah, we, yeah, I had five five days of that. I was lucky that I brought a pair of jeans along because normally I don't on a July trip. And I had everything I owned on and multiple sweatshirts, and I've never had to deal with that. And lost more fish at the boat than I'm used to. But then even the big ones would come up. you had a have fifty, fifty-one inch fish come up and just halfway open their mouth or quarter way and just nip at them, and you'd beak hook them, and they'd shake their heads and be gone, but that was just uh, a, a tough bite with those cooling temps.
0: So let's talk about a little bit about that. Somebody's going on a trip, and they deal with, you know, cooling temps like you you dealt with. You know, you got some advice you can offer up on something like that?
2: Um, it's weird. Up there, the fish seem to really go to the rocks. There's the cold front, which I'm not used to here. Around here, the fish bury in the weeds, and I'm used to fishing slow, weeds but up there they wanted it on the rocks and and baits that made contact with the rocks or uh you know, with cr- crank baits and then some rubber too or we did okay slow rolling swim dogs also um but fast moving bucktails we hardly saw anything on uh my buddy i was with got the 50 on a spanky 99 uh but reeling that's way slower than normal normally we're burning stuff but uh flow rolling those way to go in that 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 cooler water fish just do not want stuff burned uh, with falling water temps that's for sure
1: if you think about that first cold front of the fall
2: you know like say the end
1: of august into september and you know i don't know about your fish down there in madison area jeff but here in minnesota you know you get those first cold fronts and they are going to push to the rocks they're going to push to the sand whatever can retain some of that heat right and a lot of times, because they're so sluggish during that time frame, you know, you're going to want to burn small bucktails and just, like, literally make them commit to eating. And I don't know if you see that known by you or not.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely, Then, but they're packed into the thick weeds, and yeah, the, the smaller bucktails move along fast, get gets them to go along with some faster-moving topwater, but man, Canada, was just, just the opposite from what I normally do here when it cools down.
1: I wonder if some of that, though, Jeff, isn't uh, pertaining to the time of the season as well. I mean, when you have water temps fall that drastically, that really tells you, you know, your surface temp is it's looking like it's pretty warm. But the, uh, the water, you know, three foot, four foot down is not that warm yet. And I think that's probably playing into some of that as well. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. So,
0: Jeff, let's, I mean, you talked about fish packing into heavy weeds. You did talk a little bit about, you know, uh, smaller bucktails. What are some other options that you can use to attack fish when they're, you know, like if you uh, have a cold front here and you're fishing northern Wisconsin or southern Wisconsin and these fish are in the weeds, you know, what do you have for tools that you can attack those fish with aside from, you know, your smaller bucktails and your your top water you talked about earlier?
2: Normally this time of year on a good bite, I'd be using 10-inch sewage during a cold front. I would downsized to a nine inch weighted suik and another really really good one is big joes with short cast hopped into pockets in the weeds and ripped through the weeds and and hopped in and around the weeds I mean, i'm even talking making like bass pitching doing 10 and 15 foot long casts if you get any open pockets and heavy weeds um a, a big joe is a really really good confidence one for me anytime during a cold front uh, sp- spinner baits is another one too, besides bucktails rolled through the, the, heavy weeds. Uh, they're, they're better for going through the heavy cover than bucktails, but yeah, i usually have somebody throwing a sewage, somebody throwing a spinner bait and somebody else throwing a big joel and that's kind of my three bait approach for, for cold fronts when they're in those heavier
0: weeds. All right, Jeff, before we transition away from Canada and away from cold weather, because the, the topic this week is going to be hot weather. You know, if you guys are heading up to Canada, you got anything you can offer up as far as a tip to help them put some net fish in the net?
2: Um, yeah, it should be warming up. I know it's warmer up there now, and we really noticed a lot of spots. The weeds were further behind, so there wasn't as many fish in them. Um, so the weeds, we actually, we noticed were better when we left than we, they were when they got there, and that should continue this week. So it should be a lot of really big fish in those new, new good weeds, so I would definitely be hitting those with, yeah, I wouldn't say burning bucktails, but kind of a medium fast. The bigger fish that we saw were all on Spanky Ninety Nines. We threw some tens, saw a few fish, but the uh, the Double Nine bucktails seem to be really good. And then uh, if you're fishing any rocks, definitely make contact with the uh, with the rocks with crankbaits and and rubber. If you're having a little bit tougher bite, then I'll be free to throw Mag Dogs and uh, Twisted Tubes. Those have been really really good ones for us. During warming conditions out on the, the rock reefs, top water should be getting better too. It wasn't when we were there because of how cool it was, but faster moving top water, like top raiders and fat bastards and stuff like that should be definitely increasing.
1: Jeff, imagine how many more fish you could have caught if you would have seen Mayhem products. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to needle you a little bit. Oh, yeah. It's, it's good for me. <laughs> no, it's all good,
0: man. All right, Jeff. Well, the topic of that is going to be on every musky angler's mind this week is heat. And I mean, you you told me that in all likelihood you're going to be probably not fishing on Thursday and Friday. This episode will come out on Wednesday. It's Monday when we're recording it, so we're just at the forefront of what we're going to consider a uh, you know a week long heat wave. You know if anglers are out there and the temperatures are safe. Let's talk a little bit about that. What would be some approach? Are you going to be doing, you know, are you going to be in weeds? Are you going to be out in the deeper water, like for for anglers that can safely target muskies yet? Because I think northern Wisconsin, they're probably still going to be okay most of the week. Um, You know, let's just kind of talk about how to deal with heat.
2: Yeah, it's going to be like this morning. I just had a four-hour trip this morning and water temps were 74, 75 when I started and about 76 when I left. That should be about the same tomorrow, but it's supposed to be, oh, 95 or something on Wednesday. So luckily, I only have a half day on Wednesday, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to end up canceling my Thursday and and Friday trips. It's supposed to be 97, 98 degrees, so there's no way the water temps are not going to be 80, and then it looks like it's going to cool down a little bit for the weekend, so it should be fine again next week. A lot of the fish haven't been real, real deep. They're kind of in a mid-depth pattern, and they're not shallow that's we have like record low water here in the madison chain so normally some of the shallow stuff is almost unfishable because the weeds are so damn high um they lowered the lakes here in madison for dredging in early season then we've had a drought here so the lakes never filled back up so um a lot our, our lakes are really i mean 20 22 inches low right now so Um, that's played a factor in too so fishing a little bit deeper than normal but i wouldn't say say deep i mean before i left my trolling bite was was really really good but that's really slowed down since since i left like in late june early july it was doing really good trolling um and that that bite has since ceased the fish have moved into the deeper weeds now
1: let's talk about this jeff so you know you were gone a whole week And you definitely are on the water every day throughout the Madison chain there. So, you know, how do you come back from that week-long gone trip? And what do you start doing to try to put yourself back into that Madison chain mode, if you will? Because I know, you know, you think about it with like a a weekend warrior who's out Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then they, uh, they go home and they go to work for five, six days, whatever, and they go back up to do it again. What's the first thing that you're going to do to try to get back onto a pattern?
2: I would guess co- cover water with bucktails. I mean, I've been musky fishing for over 40 years so and on the Madison chain, so I know I can just try three or four different scenarios that I know has worked in the past, I mean, depending on water temps, uh, where the fish are, time of year, and all that, so I mean, I have a good research basis to go off of, but uh, for somebody that doesn't fish a lot, I mean, to, Always start off with with bucktails or fast moving topwater right away in the morning, and just check to see if the fish are active. If you're not seeing fish within an hour, hour and a half, then you need to slow down and go to you know your jerk baits like Zooks, or if it's been cooler, go to even go to some glide baits, uh, squircos, uh stuff like that. But otherwise, big joes, bulldogs, hopped in and around cover and just off of cover. You can have one person working shallow with rubber, keeping it up, and then the other person checking off the other side and check and see where those fish are. If the person throwing off the other side towards a deeper structure is getting more action, then you just adjust your boat accordingly and just slide out a little bit deeper because that just means that the there's not as many fish shallow or the shallow fish are not active. I mean, there's there's always fish shallow. There's always fish deep. I mean, there's at times of year, there's a higher percentage in one location or another, but there's always fish in the weeds. I mean, year are round. Uh, a lot of the bigger ones during the summer are out deeper, but they're not a lot of times this time of year too far off a of structure, so they're usually within a cast or two. So just don't be afraid to move your, your boat around in or out. And, um, and and don't give something 15 minutes or half hour. Give something an hour or two hours because you might not have even contacted any fish or hit any feeding windows. So um, don't be ch- trying to change stuff every 15 minutes. Uh, give Give
0: stuff plenty of time before you don't have any confidence in it. Brad that always dials back to my question I always have about how long you how long you pattern stuff and you know Jeff kind of explained that out right there where you're going to be going that hour hour and a half and and making sure that you spend enough time for me I always have a hard time cutting bait after an hour and a half I always figure I I'm not even positive I would have seen a muskie by yet so I'm I'm still trying I still get stuck in that rut if I feel like a little bit longer
1: than what Jeff would describe. Yeah it's a tough call you know I mean everybody has a different gut feeling I mean I a fish with Chase Gibson. The guy sometimes puts a bait on, and before he even casts it, he's changing baits. It's amazing to me, but, you know, he goes by gut feeling too, right? I mean, he'll be thinking, he puts it on, and ah, I'm not feeling it, so he, he switches again. So, I mean, there's no rhyme or reason or true definite answer on what you need to do. I always look at it this way. If I caught a fish on X, I don't care what the bait is, somebody's going to throw that until we're told something different. Right. And when you're guiding like Jeff is, you have got two clients in the boat. He's going to give one of those clients that bait that last cat caught I would assume. And, and that's yeah, how definitely. I always, and, yeah. and then, you know, Jeff's probably experimenting. He might mix in some experimenting with the other guy, but that's how it works. And I, if you're solo fishing, that gets to be a little bit more challenging.
2: So What's the right answer? There probably isn't the right answer, really. Yeah, and if I have a bait that's been hot a few days before that, I'll have one customer have that bait on and not take it off no matter what. And like you said, I, me personally, I'll always be experimenting changing stuff more often, but I got my clients throwing the two best baits that have been working, and I'm doing most of the switching just to see if they change colors or want it faster or slower rubber or jerk bait or, or whatever, but I'm always having at least one customer throwing the bait. More than likely they caught put the last fish in the boat. And um but yeah, like you said, it's nice to have three people in the boat throwing three different things. Um and, and, and dial in pretty fast what what the fish want.
0: You know, Jeff, one thing we haven't talked about is how would you describe your season to date? I mean would you say it's been average, better than average, below average?
2: I guess I'd say average to this point. Early season was, was tough. May was slow here. We had this crazy cold water temps. The fish were still spawning and opener. I was actually grateful in May. Half of my mate guide trips were for pike. Um, I did extremely well at that, but the, the musky bite was tough. But luckily, I didn't, didn't have to do it as much because uh, I was doing so many northern pike trips. But my June and early July were really, really good. Caught some, some big fish and, and numbers of fish. And one seven fish day, um, a lot of one and two fish days, but uh yeah, as I'd say say average. My numbers are about where they should be for the year.
0: I would imagine you talk to other guides, and Brad, you can weigh in on this too. What do you think the overall consensus is amongst musky anglers? Is it going to kind of be a up and down mix of mix of people, or you think it's been just an average season for most people?
1: Yeah, I don't know how to answer that. I guess I mean I you're seeing a bunch of different fish. I mean, if you follow anything on social, there's been some big fish caught this year, but honestly, I, I think it's been a pretty decent fight all the way around. Um, there's been quite a bit of consistency in comparison to some of the past years, but the weather has played a major factor in that, right? So all these ups and downs of the weather, <laughs> it's made it a little bit challenging, but it's been small bumps in the road, if you will.
2: Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, I, most guys I've talked to have had, a few of them have had, said they've had really, really good seasons, but a lot of them have averaged, and I've talked to a few guys that have had, had tough seasons, so well, one unrealistic thing that I had a, a lot of people contact me about was when the PNTP was here, I got a million texts afterwards, oh my God, Madison Chain's on fire, Madison Chain's on fire. There was 30 frickin' fish caught out of 200 guys for two days, so that, the bite definitely went I mean There was a couple big fish, 50-inch fish caught but there were 70-some boats that never caught a fish, so um, I guess some people's expectations are are different than others, but yeah, I couldn't believe the text and emails and stuff I was getting about the Madison chain being on fire just because there's a couple big fish caught, but the first day, there was hardly any caught, and then there was cold weather moved in and storms and crap weather, and a bunch of big fish snapped, but there still wasn't very many caught with 200 guys fishing. I think there was 17 fish caught the first day and 13 caught the second, so that's not very many fish out of that, that many
0: anglers. You know, it's good that you brought that up, Jeff. That was one thing I did want to touch on. I was going to ask you, did you see the pressure increase after the PMTT? Because a lot of people were, I think it opened some people's eyes, although it didn't open my eyes i have fished with you in Madison long enough. And I've said it on this podcast a few times, aside from like Green Bay, I think numbers wise, you're better to fish Madison than you are to fish Green Bay. But like, I think Madison is potentially the best musky fishery we have in Wisconsin and I mean, I think maybe it opened some people's eyes to that. What did you see? Did you see increase in pressure or was it, I mean, it gets a lot of pressure anyway, so maybe it didn't increase at all.
2: Oh, it was a huge increase for, for two weeks. I saw a lot of people from far away. My buddy, the guides for me ran into two guys at the Olin launch at Monona with Michigan tags on their. They had a 22 uh, foot Ranger and they, he asked them what they were doing there and he's like, oh, with." St. Clair bites has been tough, so we ran over here because we saw those 50s that were caught in PMTT. I mean, those, those guys came just because of that, and I ran into a few other out-of-state boats that I talked to at the launch, and so it's the same thing that they heard, heard the massive chain was on fire with 50s being caught, so they all came there, but they didn't last very long. Um, most of them didn't do very well and, and left, but the, yeah, for two weeks, especially that first week after there was people, I mean, I'm out every day, so I see a lot of the same boats, I saw tons of boats I've never seen before, and the, the pressure was definitely increased, but that's, that's back off now because people are back, back, back into reality.
0: Well, like you said, it's not like the numbers and, and the quality of the fish was, was that unexpected if you're familiar with the Madison chain. I mean, there, we, there's numbers of fish, and there's big fish available in Madison. I mean, you guide on probably one of the best fisheries that I can think of in the Midwest For, I mean, for a lot, in a lot of cases.
2: I mean, I know I've talked about it on the podcast before. It's not as good as what it was pre-COVID. I mean, we talked about this before during COVID. There was so many people here fishing because people weren't working due to COVID. And a lot of guys and a lot of guys that knew better were fishing here in 84 and 85 degree water, and they killed a lot of muskies. It was sad to see when it cooled back down how many dead fish were floating here, but that definitely, definitely put an impact in the fishing here because before then like in 2018 well you're with me we had a 10 fish day 2017 18 19 there'd be nothing to have multiple 9 10 11 fish days and that has not happened since then i mean yeah i had a seven fish day this year but it was just perfect perfect conditions most days it's one one to three fish not like it was before pre COVID when you get five six a day so there's Definitely less fisher. It's still good, good fishery, but
0: it's not the high numbers that it it was before COVID. I guess on the plus side though, you know, the uh, clubs and the DNR, they do a good job of stocking that fishery. So, I mean, hopefully it, it doesn't take too long to rebound. Obviously we're talking muskies here, so it doesn't rebound in like a season or two, but, you know, hopefully in the, in the near future, it'll be back to what it, what it once was.
2: Yeah, and that's during COVID too. We had a hard time with the capital city chapter muskie Muskies which puts most of the fish in the chain, um, and pushed to get the 50 inch size limit here. Um, uh, we've already had some overwintered fish stocked this spring and it looks like we'll get the normal stocking numbers again back up this year. So just had, yeah, in 2020, there was hardly any stock in 2021. Um, wasn't very many. Last year was a fair amount and this year looks good, so. It'll take a few years to get it back up there, but it will. But, yeah, the we don't have any natural reproduction here. It's Everything is, is stocked. So thanks to donations from people like you, Jeff, that have really helped out with the Muskie Club, too, for stocking fish. So thank you much for that. But,
0: yeah, it definitely makes a, a, a big difference here with the, with the stocking. Until you brought that up, I forgot. I actually probably should get something out to those that group again because, um, you know, that's obviously something we've been – we've been doing for the past couple seasons and we want to continue that to, uh, try to better all of our muskie fisheries as, as much as we can. Obviously I'd love to do- donate to everybody and put muskies everywhere, but I do run out of business and this is what I do to try to put food on the table. So, uh, that's not exactly possible everywhere, but we definitely need to continue to, to do that. It's important, you know, for lots of reasons, right? I mean, we want it, we want strong muskie fishing for know now and we want it for the future i'd like to see my kids be able to have as many opportunities for catch muskies as what i currently do
1: i've got to ask jeff a question um you know we were talking about hot water and and how you're probably gonna end up seeing you know a bit of time here where you're not going to be able to fish and i'm curious are you dealing with a bunch of smoke over there as well i mean the the fire is up in canada I think that smoke has definitely helped our water temps up in our neck of the woods, and I know it's happened across northern uh, Wisconsin. Amazingly enough, before Chase came up from West Virginia, they were dealing with the smoke down there in West Virginia as well, and I think it definitely helped them curb their water temp climb. I'm curious, are you guys seeing that too, Jeff, or no?
2: Yeah, you know, in in late June and early July, we had a a bunch of hot days, but yeah, it was, I mean, some of the days it was so smoky here, you couldn't see across the lake, and that definitely, definitely, just like you said, curved the the water temps here, that that helped a lot, because the bright, bright sun that's normally pounded on the lakes, even on some of the calm days, did not warm up the water temps like it, like it usually does, so yeah, it's definitely, definitely made a difference, hasn't been the the greatest to, to breathe for some people. I've had a few customers that had asthma that were definitely hurting in the boat, but they had to wear face masks, but... Yeah, I've definitely noticed a difference with with the smoke with the water temps here, too.
1: Yeah, yesterday here locally, it was uh, plenty smoky again. I'm kind of hoping that it kind of sticks around here this week with these high temps, so we'll see what takes place.
2: Yeah, I'm hoping we get some thunderstorms and stuff. We've just had so, so little rain here that everything misses us, goes to the north, and uh, yeah, I mean... I. In a three-week period without having to mow my yard, which I guess is good, but we need the rain here to raise the water levels up and make it not so damn weedy, and it really helps cool cool the lakes down, too. So hopefully with the sea, we get some pop-up thunderstorms or we get a couple inches of rain, would help things out, too.
0: All right, Jeff. Well, I don't know we've done this since you've been on the podcast before, but we've been uh, doing, like, we'll call five questions. We don't get in super deep, but it definitely helps uh, create a couple discussions Let's uh, start that up a little bit. So let's talk about moon phases first. How big of a deal is, or I should say, are moon phases a big deal for you or not a big deal for you?
2: Not a big deal whatsoever. I don't, like, I'll have customers ask me, oh, what's the bite window today? And that's. Yeah, I don't even pay any attention to, the, to any of that. I've, there's so much more weather-related. Actually, the two biggest fish I've ever had in Madison were caught during the worst predicted fishing times. Um It's just so much more weather-related, low-light periods-related versus moon phases for me here in Madison. uh, Canada, yeah, maybe I have noticed a few better bite windows uh, during some of the moon phases, but for Madison, I've never really had it make one bit of difference for me.
1: A lot of times, I think it's how people fish during those moon phases, too. They pay attention a little bit more, they fish a little bit harder, and I think that mentally they're probably preparing better at that time frame so but it's amazing over the past i don't know five seven years i definitely see windows but those windows might not correlate with the moon whatsoever so i would agree with you on that one jeff
2: yeah i'll have a lot of customers call me during the winter and ask well when when should i book to come um is there a particular moon phase you like and I'm just like come whenever you can i mean it's just uh, so just don't go by moon phases at all
0: Brad, I, I'll I'll jump back to what you said I do agree with that I think people like look at the moon phases and they assume that's going to be the best time so they're they're not taking breaks they're continually fishing and sometimes I wonder if you wouldn't be better off just you know like I said just fishing hard as much as you can during during the time that you're allowed to fish you know Jeff we'll look back to that that fish that 10 fish day that we had I mean, the window was open almost all day, so it you, you couldn't really predict anything that day. That was unbelievable fishing, you know?
2: Right, and it was a day, it wasn't a rainy day. Typically those days used to happen when it was raining all day. That day, before you came down, I'd only been catching two or three a day, and as you thought of asking if we'd get a couple, I'm like, yeah, we'll get we'll get two for sure. I had no idea that we were going to get 10, ten fish and, and nice fish and and seven hours of fishing it was just had no ni- rhyme or reason and the bite window never closed I mean from fr- first light when you've got the first couple on top water it continued till you left
0: yeah and it was like you said it wasn't particularly great weather day I think if I remember right it was flat calm and sunny it was a little hazy in the morning and then once the haze burned off it didn't matter we kind of thought the window would close down a little bit but it didn't it just kept the this- just going as strong. I wonder if we would have, you know, how many more we would have caught had we decided to fish all day. Cause it seemed like it wouldn't, the window was open consistently. It wasn't like we caught, you know, all of them in, in a, you know, a two hour window or whatever. It was literally like, if we go 45 minutes without a bite, we were kind of like, yeah, this is getting kind of slow.
2: Right. Right. Yeah. We were, we were spoiled. Yeah. We didn't, I don't even think we had a half hour where we didn't see one.
0: No, probably not. And we had multiple losses that we could have had as well. Maybe
2: it's just you, Jeff.
0: No, maybe no. you're, like really lucky. <laughs> no, that's not it. No, <laughs> ma- ma- maybe it'd be the other Jeff. Huh? It's not me for sure. It was. It was had to be the guide. It wasn't. It wasn't the uh, the you know the guy in the front of the boat.
2: <laughs> I think the next time Jeff came down he hit to fish with me, hit a, hit a deer with his new truck.
0: I did. <laughs> well, actually, the deer hit me to be to be exact. Like it ran right into the side of my truck. So that was fantastic. So, did you catch fish after that? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to create unrealistic, unrealistic expectations for Jeff. But typically, we do at least catch something. I don't know that there's been too many times where we've gotten completely skunked. I want to say that we usually get something in the boat. Not always, you know, not always giant fish, but it's always something. And if not, we always have some action too.
2: Yeah, I don't think you've ever been here where we didn't have them on. That's I think. But one time we we. Catch any, but I think we had two bites that you, you missed one. I missed one, but that's the way it goes some days. Yep, exactly.
0: All right, moving on. Let's talk about uh, top water baits. We're going to go with flap tails and like hog hog wobbler type baits versus prop style baits. I guess maybe uh, give me your preference and and potentially like when you when you decide you'd use one versus the other.
2: If it's raining and crappy, I'm definitely going with the prop style baits, and if the fish. Like if I've been fishing all day and was catching tons of fish on bucktails moving along fast, then I'm definitely gonna go with the prop baits but if i hadn't seen been seeing as many um definitely the the slower moving stuff or right away in the morning if it's if it's cooler, then I'll throw the flap tail style stuff like the i really like that smaller uh, bomb squad bait. what was they called c four uh yep. and then uh Husky style hog wobblers. I really, really like those a lot. Um in the fall I'll throw mag hog wobblers, but it's just as crazy. Hardly anybody ever throws hog wobblers anymore. Um, I've had multiple fish in the boat on them this year. Every year I do, and I never see any other guys using them, but, uh, they have. It's cooler mornings, or if you haven't seen as many fish, and that's when I'm throwing flaptails through the hog wobblers. Um, even some side to side, walk to dog style top waters like the one-eyed willie. Um, it's been cooler. I like throwing the juniors. It's been a little bit warmer later in the fall. I'll throw the, the full-size one at willies. But those, those three baits, I'll kind of throw under the same conditions. And the fish have been active, and definitely if it's raining, then I'm throwing the faster-moving prop stuff.
1: Do you remember the old locomotives? Are those still made, or are they uh, not available? They're basically a, like an oversized hog wobbler.
2: Oh, boy, I haven't seen those in a very very long time i didn't throw much of them just because i've got so much confidence in in hog wobblers i mean i've caught big big fish on mag hog wobblers I and mean, i've got fish up to 52 and a half on magnum hog wobblers and it's just a bait not a lot of guys use i
1: would agree with that i mean it's, i always say it's painfully slow right but there is a special time and a special place for the hog wobbler there's no question about it it's an old bait, but it produces time and time again I, I was just curious, I was thinking about the locomotives because I've seen a couple hanging on my garage and I thought, man, I have not heard or seen the, those baits for a long time so I wasn't sure.
2: Yeah, been been, been many, 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 many years. Uh, another good slow one that we didn't talk about is the uh, Creeper uh, a Hog hogbuster from High fin Tackle is one that I've caught fish on since I was a kid. Um, that's another one that falls in that slow moving category and that's another one that very, very few guys use so. Um, I really like throwing creepers and hog wobblers. uh definitely the the pressure around here with a lot of the other top waters. The fish see that they'll react positively to the hog wobblers and the creepers.
0: All right, moving on. Next question. This isn't necessarily like a, a this versus this, but let's just talk about how to deal with boat pressure because obviously in Madison, that is absolutely something you're going to have to deal with. And we're not talking angling boat pressure. We're talking jet skis and wakeboarders and recreational boating traffic.
2: Yeah, it's especially on weekends, unbelievably busy, uh, especially after 9 a.m. But they start skiing here even during the week. It, it gets light. Well, nowadays, about like 5.15, there's people skiing by 5.30. I mean, not just one person. There's a lot of pressure all the time uh, boating-wise. But, uh, you know, the fish are used to it. It, it bothers people. More than anything else, I'm so used to it it doesn't bother me anymore. Quite frankly, I've had boats buzz me in the weeds or around the weeds and you cast behind the boat and catch a fish. It actually ends up stirring up the bait fish. It actually prevents or promotes feeding opportunities when those boats go ripping through the weeds. It disorientates the bluegills or the bait fish that are around presents feeding opportunities for the muskies. I mean, I've casted behind tons of boats that have come way too close to me and ended up the results of putting a big muskie in the net. It, the fish get used to it. It doesn't bother them. Like I said, it, it sometimes provides feeding opportunities
0: for them. The fish just get used to it. And let's move on to a couple of questions about bucktails then. Let's talk about, let's go double blades versus single blades.
2: Well, really, early season, I do way better on single blades especially on the single laded rabbit squirrels um caught a lot of fish on them again this year i like the if I'm musky fishing the eight inch size better than the five just because we have so many northerns here on a lot of my pike trips we threw tons of the the five inch single blade ones and caught a lot of pike up to 38 inches on them but uh musky wise i like the, the eight inch one of the single blade and then like Brad was mentioned earlier, and I'll start using those again, the, the single-bladed rabbit squirrels in the fall and September when the fish move in shallow because they work really well burned over the top of the weeds and are easy for for anybody to throw, especially if I'm guiding kids. if you kid can throw a rabbit squirrel all day long and not get tired out. Um, but on the bigger stuff, uh, I don't really throw any single 10s. Spanky makes a single 8 and a single, single 9, which I'm sure, Brad, you have those too spanking makes a shorter stockier one that jeff carries called a munchkin um which is a single nine that one has a really really good thump to it and i've, I've definitely noticed days of, of pressure if there's a lot of guys i'll throw in double-bladed bucktails I'll, I'll fish behind them with one of those munchkins and um I'll, I'll, I'll produce them it's just a totally different thump than a double-bladed bucktail and fish are seeing a lot of double-bladed stuff that's that's when you want to sit, be throwing those singles because the, the fish get accustomed to one vibration versus the other. Look them out. And look at something that's making a little bit different, different sound or different vibration.
0: Well, you know, Jeff, let me ask you about this. So, if I've said this on the podcast numerous times, the rabbit squirrel doesn't look like much in the water. It doesn't have any flash on it. and the the hair that's on it isn't particularly long. What is it that you think that drives the muskies nuts on those rabid squirrels? Because it, it's a fish catching bait.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, coming through the water. I mean, that, the squirrel hair doesn't pulsate a ton like uh, like a flash bucktail or even a, the one with deer hair on it. Um, just something about that profile those those fish like with that vibration and particularly moving along fast. Uh, those fish just come screaming out of the, the weeds and eat them. I mean, one thing I don't think the fish see. A lot of stuff like that, I mean, they see so many flash, blue bucktails that, uh, I mean, a lot of guys aren't hardly ever throwing stuff like rabbit squirrels or the smaller single-bladed maps and stuff anymore like they used to. Yeah, I don't know, but that, that, those rabbit squirrels will drive them nuts some days.
0: Brad, you make the bait. You want to weigh in on this a little bit because it, it's a mystery to me, but they just get crushed. I mean, it, it's absolute fish catching bait.
1: It has been since it was created. There's no question. Um, I definitely think, I mean, I can look back at like using some of the old eagle tails, and I, some of my favorite eagle tails had zero hair left. I mean, just a few strands of hair and a blade, basically. So you tell me. I mean, the skirting is secondary to that thump of the blade and uh, the profile of the bait. So skirting is one one thing i mean the neat thing about flash boo and the longer flash boo is that it does pulsate in the water uh, marabou will do the same thing hair generally just kind of stays there right and it's a small profile bait and i think uh it allows anglers to move that bait a little bit faster than they will with like say a flash boo or a marabou so that's one thing to consider i think speed becomes part of the equation
0: all right well since brad brought up speed it's now time to ask that question You're going to burn bucktails or you're going to slow roll bucktails? Maybe talk about when you might do both because obviously typically, you know, guys aren't doing just one or the other.
2: That's when I'm guiding somebody and hand them a bucktail, I will tell them do three different retrieves, do a fast one, then your next one do a medium, and then your next one do a slow and really pay attention to what you're doing on a fish kick game because some days they want it screaming fast, some days they want it at medium speed, and some days they want it a slow. So, and every day is different. I mean, you could have them crushing, burning ones one day and the next day with identical conditions, they want it slow. So I will definitely tell them every single one of your three retrieves in a row, do it, do it different and pay attention to what you were doing so that you if you have one come in when you're doing it slow, then that's what the fish want. So you just got to play play around with speeds as you're casting to figure out what they want, because there's definitely days when those fish are really on that they want it screaming fast but i've had quite a few days this year that they they wanted it slow
1: i definitely think that speed
2: can be a big factor right
1: um along with going slow a lot of times i think it's because you're getting deeper in the water column and when those fish are a little bit sluggish that slow retrieve can definitely get your bait down in their face more and so that's definitely something to consider and I think, you know, the burning side of it is if you're looking for that reaction bite or fish are really, truly active, burning, you can't go fast enough, right? So that's when you're going to use your high-speed uh, reels. And, but you got to keep that in mind, and I think Jeff hit it on the head. You know, you're going to have multiple guys doing different things in the boat so that you can kind of put that pattern together. And once you catch one or two fish,
2: your pattern has been uh, been handed to you. Yeah, definitely. One thing that I should have mentioned is stealth tackle makes a, a one ounce weighted leader, and a lot of times on nines or even on eights, if I want to get, if I notice fish want it slower, you're exactly right. Sometimes they they just want it deeper, and I will throw those bucktails on that one ounce weighted leader, and I'm getting another sometimes two feet deeper out of out of a retrieve, and, and that makes a, a huge huge difference. I'll do the same thing with swim dogs. Sometimes those fish want them up high. But you put the one of those one-ounce weighted leaders on there um, and you get a couple extra feet of depth out of it. And sometimes those fish don't want to come up way up high out of the weeds to grab a bucktail. And that one-ounce weighted leader will get it closer to the weeds for fish that, that aren't quite as motivated.
1: dog, do you feel like, is that a confidence bait for you, Jeff? And the reason I bring it up is that it seems like if I'm struggling and I'm not seeing any fish, I can throw a swimming dog and at least I'll see fish, but it's more of like a,
2: a locating bait than it is actually a fish catching bait. What What's your ideas and thoughts on that? It's a confidence bait for me to catch fish on too. Um, the biggest thing is the retrieve speeds with it. Two years ago, the faster I brought them in, the more fish I caught on them. But this year I've definitely done better with them, reeling them in slow, just so you're taking the weed tops, I mean if you need to get really deep, like I said, run that one ounce weighted leader on there, but making contact or taking the weeds with them this year is definitely what what got fish to to react to' them. um I know I talked to a few guys that use jerks and poles with them, but I've done way better on the swimming dogs, just reeling them right straight in and and most of the time fast but man, i've I've caught tons and tons of fish on those.
0: Well, then we'll go one step further on that. And this is the last question I wanted to kind of talk about. It's not necessarily a question. I want you to talk about your uh, boatside technique because I watched you in a video catch multiple fish on swimming dogs, burning them in. And you're, I've said it before, your boatside technique is, you know, flawless. And you've told me, Madison, you got to be able to figure eight. When you're up in Canada, you got to be able to figure eight. I, I know this topic's been beaten to death, but... For your average listener, I want not you talk a little bit about what you do at the at the boat? Because it's so important to catch fish in certain instances.
2: Yeah, the biggest thing, the biggest mistake that I have customers make is slow down. Uh, you got to keep your figure eight going at least the speed you're bringing the bait in, and usually touch up the speed just a hair. You don't want to do a crazy fast figure eight, but just a hair faster, and you're bringing it in. Um, we'll we'll get hits. And using long rods is is really good. I use the musk innovations rods, uh, heavy for the smaller bucktails and extra heavy for the big ones, but that 9.6 really allows me to do really, really big figure eights, Um, and I don't, don't do them at the same level in the water. When I'm coming towards the boat, I'll kind of lean over and put the rod down, and then when I swing it up and around, I'll bring it up high. That way the, the bait is changing depths in the water column. You seem to get a lot more bites that way. Definitely when you're bringing it towards the boat, you want to dive your rod down so you're keeping the fish's attention on the lure and not on you or any movement in the boat. And they're keeping their eyes on the lure going down and looking underneath the boat instead of what's up and in the boat. But uh, And make them as big as you can. And Hook setting-wise... I have a lot of people ask me that. What do you do for your hook, set in your figure eight? I I don't. I just keep figure eighting until the rod loads up and the fish is on there fighting. Um, I've lost way less fish that way. I mean, I keep my hooks razor, razor sharp. You're doing a good, big, quick figure eight. When they bite it and turn their head, they hook themselves. I mean, I haven't tried setting the hooks on a figure eight fish in many, many, many years, and I catch a lot of fish on figure eights.
0: You know, Jeff, one thing that you mentioned there was hooks being razor sharp. I had seen something on one of the social media platforms. They were talking about sharp hooks and, like, what you use, and somebody just said, like, I don't sharpen my hooks. I just buy new hooks. But muskie hooks aren't sharp enough right out of the box. You've got to be able to sharpen them up, you know, using a file or whatever technique you decide to use. You don't ever, I'm assuming you don't, you don't ever use brand-new hooks without putting a file on them.
2: Never. Any new hooks from any manufacturer aren't sharp enough. The way I test them is I run the run them over my thumbnail. If you, they don't scratch or dig in your thumbnail, they're not sharp enough. And a brand new hook, when you take it out of the package, you run across your thumbnail. It doesn't doesn't
0: stick into it or scratch it. So, I mean, it seems like a very common topic, but that's one thing I I wanted to mention because I also get guys that send me baits back on occasion. I can't get this crank bait to run, or I can't whatever. And it'll have a little bit of hook wear on it and it doesn't ever look like the hooks were ever sharpened. So it makes me wonder like what percentage of anglers are actually sharpening their hooks 50% less. I don't know. I, something that I've done ever, you know, in the very beginning in the, when I had free time and I was fishing often, I would just in the winter time, I would sharpen hooks right before the season. I would sharpen hooks all season, you know, all off season long. Cause I was always buying new gear. So I was, you know, there was just something I did, you know, you'd watch TV and you'd sharpen hooks or whatever.
2: Yeah, I'm really surprised at this day and age how many people are sharpening hooks. That's two weeks ago I had a, a customer show up that had six Suicks that he had seen our suic video and, and was having problems tuning them, and he asked if he could bring them along, I'm like, yeah, I'll do them for you, no problem. And he had gave, handed me six of them, and all of them he'd fish with, and not one of them had a, sh- a sharp hook on them. Like, you didn't sharpen your hooks? He's like, oh, no, those are new new baits. I'm like, no, when you get a new bait, it's not sharp enough. You need, you
1: need to hit it with a file. Except for, uh,
0: we won't go down this road, Brad. You'll, you'll talk about not sharpening hooks on trolling
1: lures, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can honestly say with certain baits, that they're very heavy crankbaits, even with the Supernatural, the, the hacks, I have definitely noticed that if you leave them factory sharp, you're, you're going to improve your uh, fish-to-the-boat ratio. And primarily, I think the biggest reason for that is... The fact that uh, you're not cutting a bigger hole as you're reeling in that fish, right? So it has its pluses and minuses and, and a, a whole different topic, I guess, <laughs> at the end of the day.
0: <laughs> I didn't mean to make this podcast go about 45 minutes longer because we could talk about that for a while, but I'm still going to be on board with Jeff. If I'm throwing suics, bucktails, whatever, uh, I'm going to be trolling five inch, six inch crankbaits. I'm definitely getting out the file. I'm going to sharpen that stuff up. Anyways, Jeff, I know that you have other things to do today and I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule. I would assume that you maybe have some availability yet this Summer into fall, I know you book up pretty quick, but occasionally I would imagine you get some canceled dates and whatever. If for people that are looking to get in touch with you or they want to book a date with you, how do they go about doing that?
2: I'd just go to my website, uh, Um I have one day left in August, and I think it's just a handful in uh, September and October. Um, so I still have a few dates left. But, uh, yeah, definitely my
0: website, com, is the best way to get hold of me. All right, Jeff. Well... I thank you for your time. I'm sure it won't be long, and I'll be hearing from you. Typically, I get texts from Jeff occasionally, even before I wake up in the morning, of him having fish in the net already, which is a good way to open the start the day. It's a nice reminder. Like as I walk out to the shop, that Jeff's out there catching muskies, and I'm not. But anyways, Jeff, thanks again for your time. We appreciate that. And yeah,
2: hope- thank you guys for having me. It's great to talk to uh, you, Jeff, and you, Brad. I don't get to talk to you guys very often during fishing season, so it's always good to connect again. Yeah,
0: and I hope you continue to put muskies in the net. I'm sure we'll be in touch soon enough. I want to thank our listeners for, you know, tuning in for another episode, and we'll be back with another one again next Wednesday.